0: Today, we're continuing our series on only Jesus, and we're talking about only Jesus is worthy of our praise. Only Jesus is worthy of our praise. And I want to ask you this question. I, I just want you to, um, you don't, don't answer it out loud, but just consider this to yourself this morning as you sit here on a Sunday morning in church, and maybe you've been coming to church for a really long time, maybe you've, this is your first time or just been a few times, but I want to a- ask yourself this question, why do I worship Jesus? Why do I worship Jesus? Your your initial answer might be, well, because I love him, right? Well, that's a great answer, but we love a lot of things. I love my wife. I don't worship her, right? Unless she makes her delicious homemade sourdough cinnamon rolls that literally move the ground, right? We we, We can love things and not be called to worship them. So yes, we love Jesus and so we worship him, but it needs to go beyond that. Why? Well, because he is God, right? Great answer. But what does that mean? If we tell uh, uh, someone who doesn't walk with the Lord, who isn't saved, who doesn't love Jesus, well, and they ask us that question, well, I worship him because he's God. Well, what does that mean to them? How do you explain that to them? And so this morning, we're going to look at what it really means, why Jesus and only Jesus is worthy of our worship. But before we dive into it, I want to look at Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, all the way back to Jesus's birth, the Christmas story. It's, uh, it's late March. We're talking Christmas this morning. And it says in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Skip down to verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, so the whole point... The whole point of these wise men journeying to Bethlehem, taking this trip to Bethlehem, was to worship Jesus. They say that to the king. We're here to worship him. And then when they find Jesus, they worship him, all right? They're not there to meet him. They're not there to take a selfie with baby Jesus and post it on social media, hashtag I met baby Jesus or whatever. They're not there to ask anything of him or get anything from him. They are there to worship this baby, all right? And this is before Jesus can walk, before he can talk, before he's potty trained, before he's baptized by John the Baptist and God says over him, "'This is my son in whom I am well pleased.'" before he goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan, before he makes the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, before he touches the leper and makes them whole, before he gives the sermon on the mount, before he feeds the 5,000, before he walks on water and calms the sea, before he is nailed to a cross and risen from the dead three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit. None of those things have happened yet. He's a baby. And these three wise men, not stupid men, go to this baby, and they worship him. This from the outside world can seem a little bizarre, right? Why are these grown men worshiping this little child? Because they understood who Jesus was. They understood that Jesus is worthy of our praise, not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. But who he is allows him to do what he does, right? And so here they are, in Bethlehem, grown men giving him gifts that certainly a baby needs, right? Every baby, every parent, when they do that registry, says, Frankincense got to be at the top of the list. Got to have that frankincense, right? Those are things you give to a king. And so they brought these gifts to Jesus to worship him. That was the whole point of their journey because they knew who he was. I want to read a couple of verses to y'all that explain exactly who. Jesus is. Revelation four, eleven. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Psalm ninety-five, six and seven, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. We all worship something. We all worship something. We all worship someone, right? We worship Jesus as the one who is worthy. But there are times in our life, maybe before you knew the Lord or even times out that you struggle with where we worship other things. We might worship our spouse and we want them to be Jesus for us. Maybe we worship our kids and we put all all of our energy and our hope and our expectations and our passions into our children, expecting them to be something for us. We maybe even live vicariously through them and so we worship our kids. Or we worship our job and we put all of our energy and all of our attention into our job so that we can get that money and that status and that validation that we so crave and maybe worship that and that house and that car and that status that we want so bad And we worship those things. Maybe we worship the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know who would do that, right? Not me, certainly. But we worship things in our lives. But all of those things that I listed and all the other things that are not Jesus are created things. They have been created by human hands. Your spouse or that person that isn't your spouse that you're really hoping will be It's created by some other man and woman who got together, right? That job, that house that you long for, that car, whatever it is, all those things are created things. But when the wise men went to Jesus, they didn't see a created thing. They saw the creator of things. And so when we read here in Psalm 95, it says that he is the Lord, our maker. We worship and bow down to our maker the creator of all things. You know what God says about Jesus? It is by him all things were created. By him and through him, Jesus, Jesus created. You might say, well, James, Jesus was a baby. He was birthed by Mary. Yes, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was not created by anything on earth. He is God. And whether he is on the throne next to God the Father or he is in a manger in Bethlehem, he is the creator of all things. So, yes, the wise men were smart to go and worship this baby because they were worshiping the creator of themselves. He is the creator. And when you are the creator, you are at the top of the food chain, you have all the authority in heaven and in earth. So might it have looked awkward or bizarre from the outside world that these men were worshiping a baby? Maybe. But what they understood is, I am worshiping the top of the food chain. I am worshiping that which has all the authority. And what is sad is in when we forget about worshiping Jesus and we put our affections towards other things, we're worshiping something, y'all, listen carefully, with no authority. But we put our hope in it. We put our attention and our affections on it. And we expect something in return. We expect our life to change and us to change. And it doesn't. Listen, when we worship all those other things, we're no different than any other faith that puts an idol on a shelf and worships it. We are no different. We are worshiping something that is created. But when we worship Jesus, we are worshiping the creator. That's why even now, when y'all came in this morning, When all of us came into this place, dealing with whatever we were dealing with, we feel different now than we did when we walked in. Why? Because we were in the presence of the Creator. We were worshiping the Creator. We were worshiping the top of the food chain, that who is all the authority in heaven on earth. And that changes us. When we go about our week worshiping other things, we're not changed. Nothing changes. And even here, our circumstances may not change in the moment that we worship the Lord. But boy, does our perspective? What is our understanding of who's in charge? We go, oh, that's right. You are good. You are good, Lord. All praise and glory and honor to you, Lord. Because you are the authority. You are our maker. And so I worship you. We worship God because we are in awe of him. I think these wise men were in awe of Jesus something about this baby that was different than all the others. And and if I can get on my soapbox here for a minute. I don't believe this is happening anymore. I will say this. I think we're coming out of it. And thank you, Jesus. I've talked to too many pastors from too many different churches that look different than ours that are saying the exact same thing. But there was a time recently where the church, y'all, the church lost the awe and the fear of God. And I'm not talking about fear like we're afraid of like a scary movie or afraid of the dark. I'm talking about the awe, the reverence, the holy fear of a God who sits on the throne of heaven. And the church lost its way. There's been a purging. Thank you, Jesus. And there is a returning of understanding that we worship a God that we need to be in awe of. That we don't dictate the narrative of Scripture and change it to meet what we want it to say. But instead, we bow the knee humbly to a God who we are in awe of, who is powerful and mighty, and who look at stage four cancer and say, are you kidding me? We need to be in awe of God. And that's why we worship. And I just bear with me here for a second, but just consider when you read the Bible and you see an angel appear, an angel sent by God appear, what is one of the first things the angel says? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Because angels are majestic, powerful beings. I want to read an account of it out of, um, where am I in my notes? Out of Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 9. It says, then I heard the man speak, and when I heard, this is the man being an angel, and when I heard the sound of his voice, listen to this, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. This is the encounter of Daniel with an angel. How much more so with Jesus? You know what Hebrews chapter 1 says? It says that Jesus is greater than the angels. So if Daniel is falling on his face, trembling at the presence of an angel how much more should we be in awe of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Son of God? That's why he is the only one who is worthy of our praise. That's why he is the only one who is worthy of our worship. I want to read Paul's account, his testimony of his encounter with Jesus. If you're not familiar with Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, all of the letters to the churches and to Titus and Timothy. And Paul, before he encountered Jesus was trying to destroy the new church. He was a Pharisee and he was a zealot for the law. And if you followed the way of Jesus, he was going to persecute you, he was going to have you arrested, he was going to have you stoned to death, but you were not going to be part of this church. He hated the new church. And this is his testimony, his words of his account with Jesus. Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 12. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus. He's saying, in in other words, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute this new church, to arrest some people. It doesn't matter if they were male, female, or children. He was going to throw them in jail or even have them killed. I love this next part. Armed, listen, with the authority and commission of the leading priests. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord? I asked. So Paul, and here his old name was Saul, he's saying, I was armed with the authority and the commission of the high priest. So he had earthly authority. But that earthly authority ain't the top of the food chain. So he's on his way to go do what he's been commissioned to do. And then it says, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and we fell down and I said, who are you, Lord? So Paul's first reaction in his first encounter with Jesus was to fall down and call him Lord. He was in awe of Jesus in this moment. And I just want to explain and expound on this really quickly, where it says, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. This is what he encountered. And if we all walked outside right now, as you leave church today, you can look up into the sky, and you're going to see the sun shining brightly. Here in Florida in late March where it's in the high 80s. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And as you look elsewhere in the sky, it's going to be blue and you're going to see clouds, right? Beautiful sky. Well, tonight, the sun is going to set. The sky is going to go from blue to dark. And the light of the sun is going to be replaced by smaller lights that we call stars. And it's going to look awesome. We're not going to see the sun anymore. But right now, it's a blue sky with the sun and the clouds. But are the stars gone? No. They're still in the sky. We just can't see them because the sun shines brighter than the stars. It outshines the brightness of the stars. Well, in Revelation 1, it talks about when Jesus comes back, the sun is going to go dark. And right here, Paul is saying that the the light outshined the sun. So what we are talking about here in Jesus is a light that if he were to return right now, we couldn't see the sun because he is so magnificently bright. Just like right now we can't see the stars because of how bright the sun is, Jesus outshines the sun because of how bright he is. That is a God to be in awe of. That is not a God that we question and we change things with. That is a God that we bow and we say, you are Lord Jesus. Whether you are in heaven or whether you in Bethlehem as a little baby, I bow and worship you, my creator, who I am in awe of. You know no darkness. You are light. You are God. And I am in awe of you. Last week, Robert Hartzell shared an amazing word. I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, to go listen to it on our website, through our app. He talked about the love of the Father. And he talked about how there's nothing that we can do that will make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. That he is our loving Father, and only Jesus shows us the Father. And it was, it was a powerful message on God's love And and if you heard it and you're hearing this, you might be saying, well, James, it sounds like there's two different things going on here. We have this loving, compassionate Father who is quick to forgive us. And then we have this God who outshines the Son, who is the creator, who we need to be in awe of and, and have holy fear over. And how are those two things existing? And I say yes to that. That is the beauty of God. That is the beauty of Jesus, that he is not exclusive in those two things, but it's those two things that make him who he is. Though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something to cling to. But he let go of those divine privileges and took on the humble position as slave and was born as a human. And when Jesus took on human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God to death and even death on a cross. It's Philippians chapter 2. But in that next verse, you know what it said? It says, then God exalts Jesus and in the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow. He is Jesus who surrendered and gave up his throne in heaven and humbled himself to a slave to death and at the same time was exalted through his resurrection that every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth, will bow. So is he the loving Savior that we read about in the Gospels that died on the cross for us? Yes, he is. Is he a God that when his light shines, our only reaction is to bow on our face in holy reverence and awe? Yes, he is. He is all those things. And I'm gonna explore that, that, that portion of Jesus that is sweet and compassionate and kind and why we worship him. It's out of Luke chapter 7. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. This is verse 36, if I didn't say that. Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So when we read a moral woman in the Gospels, we know one of two things. She is either committed adultery or she is a prostitute. Either way, she has a terrible reputation. And so she is here in the home of a Pharisee who's going to judge her more harshly than anyone else possibly could. And what does she do? She goes right to Jesus. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. How is Jesus able to answer his thoughts? Because Jesus is the creator. He knows the thoughts of the created. Simon, he said to Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Yikes. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. Here's what Jesus is doing in the brilliance of Jesus only. He's saying, there's two people in this story. All right? And there's two people that I want to talk about now. You and her. He is putting the Pharisee, Simon, in the same group as this woman who is uh, immoral. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. All right, so what Jesus is telling this Pharisee is, look, you might think that you're better than her, but guess what? You can't repay your debt either. On your own, try as you might, as holy as you think that you are, as self-righteous as you act, you cannot do a thing with sin in your life. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? I love Simon's answer here. Verse 43, Simon answered, I suppose, in other words, you got me, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Let's just pause for a second really quick because the beginning of this story, Simon is thinking to himself, look at this woman. If he only knew, he wouldn't allow this. Simon thinks he's the one that is behaving correctly right now. But Jesus says, no, Simon, I want you to look at her, not so that we can correct her, but so that you can learn from her. So, everyone say so. So So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. So he is the creator. He is the light. But he is also our God who is approachable at any moment, though our sins are many. And says you're forgiven. I love you. It's okay. And when we can understand that though our sins are many, we can go to Him, yes, we will worship Him all the more. Because there's no condemnation, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's only freedom and salvation in Jesus this perfume that this woman had, it was said that Jewish women would wear these, these bottles of perfume around their neck, and it was so much a part of who they are that they were actually allowed to wear them on, on Sabbath. And if you know anything about Sabbath back then, Sabbath back then was not a restful, joyous day. It was a day of rules. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. And for women to be allowed to wear these bottles of perfume around their neck really said something. And what it said was, this is part of me. And the, these, these jars, these alabaster jars were actually sealed shut. You couldn't unscrew a top and pour it out. You actually had to break the lid off the top. You had to, you had to break the jar. And so what she is doing in this moment, she's not saying, here, here, is, here is my most valuable possession, which it was, by the way. She's saying, Jesus, here is me. I'm pouring who I am on your feet. I'm breaking open the bottle and I'm giving all of me to you. I worship you alone. I don't worship this thing that I wear around my neck. I don't worship the reputation that I have. I don't worship what other people say I am or who I want to be. I worship you and I give all of you. I give all of me to you in this moment. I worship you and I'm pouring out this perfume on your feet here's all of me, Jesus. And I don't care who sees it. You know, it's kind of interesting about the last um, few stories we've talked about in this series. One was the man on the mat that came down from the roof, super awkward. Then we had blind Bartimaeus yelling over people, being told to shut up, yelling some more. Now we have this woman here, In a house where I'm sure, when she came in and knelt at Jesus' feet and starts pouring the perfume, the record stopped then too. Like, (laughs) so I'm gonna say something. (laughs) It's kind of weird. It requires a boldness to worship Jesus, and there's gonna be people that watch and don't understand. And we as a church have to say, who cares? Who cares? Judge me. I seek an audience of one. Not everybody else who's watching me. And Jesus will say, hey, everybody else that's watching, this is how you do it right here. This is how you do it. I the band come back up. We're gonna close with worship this morning, but you know, last night I... I One of the rare, rare occasions where I couldn't fall asleep immediately. Um, Gifted with the ability to hit my head on the pillow and just be out. Um, But last night didn't quite happen that way. And I was just going over the sermon mentally. I was like, Lord, like, yeah, those are good points. And, you know, I, I believe in all of it. I really do. But what of those who come in to church tomorrow who are struggling, where life is just throwing uppercut after uppercut and are really struggling. Like, what do they need out of this? What's the message to those people? And, and the Lord in his faithfulness to answer, but also in his way of kind of making you go, all oh, right. what of those people, Lord, and he says, tell them to worship, tell them to worship. Because when, when we're struggling in life and it feels like we're just getting punched left and right by circumstances and situations and other people, what happens is we start walking in fear. It's really what it is. It's fear. And, and I'm not even going to put, I'm not going to go specific on it, whatever the struggles are. It doesn't matter. It's all fear enemy tries to come in and tell us all these things, and he tries to be the top of the food chain, and he tries to be the authority in our life, and tries to get us to do any other thing but remember who God is, that God is the creator, that he is a light that knows no darkness, and he is a God who is quick to forgive, who let go of his divine privileges made himself a slave to death for us. And as we remember that, that fear starts to go away. And I don't believe that there is any better way to get out of fear than by worshiping. And so for those of us this morning who did walk in, and it has been a struggle with a capital S-T-R-U-G-G-L-E. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Fletcher. <sighs> you've been struggling, I want you to remember the cross this morning. And I want you to hear me that Jesus died for you so that you could freely run to him and give all of who you are to him in worship. And you will be set free. There will be no more fear. No more shame. No more condemnation and guilt. You don't have to hide. You don't have to run. But you can be like Paul, you can be like Daniel, you can be like everybody else who's encountered the Lord and simply fall on your knees and say, God, I don't want to it. It be anywhere else in the world than in your presence. The fear of God is not running from God. It's not wanting to ever leave God. If you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been trying it on your own, you've been trying and trying and trying, this is your moment. Say, I receive you, Lord. Though my sins, they are many. I come and I follow your feet. And Jesus is gonna say, your sins are forgiven. You are free. And I love you. You know what I love about that moment? He's, he takes this immoral woman and uses her as an example of how to do it right. God can use us like that. Like that. If you'll let him. And if you are struggling this morning, I wanna encourage you to, to worship to worship and also to come up for prayer so let's stand up and if we can have the elders and wives come up um, we're going to close in worship and we're going to close in prayer if you need prayer of any kind this morning we want to stand in agreement with you we're going to keep beating the drum of whatever you need whatever's going on in your life we're going to worship we're going to stand in the truth that God is our creator. He is at the top of the food chain. He is the authority over everything. So Father, right now I pray, Jesus, for those that are struggling, God, that you would meet them this morning, that they would be reminded that they don't worship some false idol or some created thing, but they worship the creator. That by and through Jesus, all things were created. By the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow. And in Jesus' name, we are saved and we are forgiven and we are set free because you died and you rose again. And there's no reason we ever need to walk in fear. And Father, I also pray for those of us who have been, we've been going to church a long time. And though we worship you on Sundays, God, maybe there's a little bit of that awe we've been missing. We've become... We've neglected you a little bit, taken you for granted a little bit. And God, I pray that we would return in this moment right now to our first love. And if we need to sit down and bow our heads, if we need to come to the altar and kneel, God, whatever we fall on our face, but that all would come back to us if we serve a mighty God. And Lord, forgive us when we've forgotten that. When because we're, you know, live where we live or, or whatever we do, God, we've just we've just lost sight of the magnitude of the God that we worship. And how privileged we are to worship you. I pray that we would all return to our first love. And like Paul in our first encounter, we would we would fall on the ground and say, Lord, Lord. In this moment, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall even heavier than you already have this morning. Because you have been true to your word. You're you're inhabiting the praises of your people this morning. We know it. God, I pray for a double portion right now. Like Elisha asked, God, we pray for a double portion right now in this moment as we lift our hands to you and we put you on that pedestal that you so rightfully deserve. Pour out your spirit even more on us. God, we, we ask it of you. Thank you, Jesus.